Well, hey, good morning. We're going to get started this morning in a different way than if you're uh, used to doing. So normally I just jump into my message or whoever's speaking and open up God's Word. But today is actually the first day of Advent. And if you don't know what Advent is, Advent is a time of celebration, uh, a four-week window where we are leading up to the birth of Christ. Uh, and in case you're wondering, Advent actually um, is the, also the beginning of the liturgical church year. So today is New Year's Day of the church calendar. Kind of interesting. Why is today the beginning of the church calendar? Uh, well, one of the reasons, I think, uh, is because um, Jesus actually wasn't born in December. Technically, as they look, I know, I know. He's actually in the spring. So why, why do we celebrate Christ's birth in December? Well, one of the reasons is think back hundreds of years ago when people's lives were a lot more tied to the seasons. And at the darkest time of the year, the coldest time of the year, it's time to look at the advent of the coming of Christ to build hope, to build peace, to build love, and to build joy afresh in our hearts. And so the beginning of the church year looks at the prophecies being fulfilled about the coming Messiah. So we, over the next four weeks, are going to look at Advent. And the way we're going to do that is we're also going to do an Advent reading. And today is the Advent candle of hope. And we have Julie Johnson, who's going to come up and do our Advent reading. So can we give Julie a hand? Um, actually, you can, stay, you can stay right there. Uh, so you're going to do the reading, and what we're going to do is there's going to be a part where she's going to read, and then there's a part for you to read that will be on the screen, and then she's going to read the scripture for today. And so actually, I'm going to have all of you guys stand up. We're going to stand up and remain standing until she's done reading the scripture. So Julie, take it away. We light this candle of hope as a symbol for the light of Christ, the hope of all nations. Advent means to prepare for what is coming. And then you say, oh, put this light up <laughs> first so that everybody can see it. And if not, I'll read the scripture and then we can all say it at the end. <laughs> Congregation. And this is Luke chapter 1, 5 through 23. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. 
for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well long in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is God's word. You may be seated. When was the last time you had a hope of yours come true? It could be something simple like a parking spot opening or all green lights when you're running late. Or it could be something a little bit more significant. Maybe it was a promotion at work or the job that you wanted coming true. You know, it could be also a deep, full, a deeply meaningful memory. You know, I was thinking about some of the greatest memories that we have in our lives. We don't, might, we don't think about it this way, but it's, it's because there was a hope that was fulfilled. There was a hope that was fulfilled. And even just during Christmas season, we talked about favorite Christmas movies our favorite Christmas movies, while they're funny like Buddy the Elf or Home Alone, at the heart of it is a hope for a son to be reunited with a lost father or for a divided family to come together. So there's some hope fulfilled in our greatest memories. I, I, was, I was thinking about uh, one of my favorite times of getting my hope fulfilled is when I met my wife 11 years ago, my wife Amy, beautiful wife right here. One of our favorite stories uh, is we met at the church about 11 years ago. Uh, I, at the time, was 27 years old, so I'm 38 right now. And when I was around her, I had such a crush, like a middle school boy, I forgot how to talk. And when we were in groups of friends, I would lose my appetite. So I liked her a lot, but I could not uh, get the courage up to actually talk to her in full sentences. But there was this ski trip that a few of our friends went on from the church, and I was going on it, and I heard that she might be going, so I hoped that she would. Some of y'all were on that trip. You know, yep, there we go. DeBrat's right there. So I hoped that she would be going, and she did. Hope fulfilled, number one. Then I hoped we would somehow end up in the same car as we're caravanning to our skiing destination, and we did. Hope fulfilled, number two. Then, as this is going well, then when she started laughing at my friend's jokes more than me, I hoped my friend would get sick on that trip. <laughs> and he did. No, I'm just kidding. He did not. He did not. 
But later on, as we were approaching our destination, we were uh, driving uh, late into the night, uh, and I was hoping that maybe she would fall asleep and lean her shoulder to my side instead of to my friend's, and she did. And so hope fulfilled, and I was like, don't move, don't move. This is wonderful. We'll just keep it right here as she was resting her head. She, told, she had no idea what she was doing. She was completely out. Uh, she's a good sleeper to this day. And as we're doing that, though, I also noticed that my shoulder was getting a little damp. She started to drool <laughs> on my shoulder. But you know what? It just made it all the more wonderful. So it, was, it, it, it broke the ice. And so on that trip, somehow I figured out how to talk again, and we became friends, and the rest is history. I just love looking back at that hope fulfilled. And Proverbs, let me get it right, Proverbs 12, 13 says, a hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And that hope fulfilled, in my case, of the example that I just gave, has been a tree of life for me, my relationship with Amy, uh, not free of challenges or ups and downs by any means, but a hope that was fulfilled and has honestly been a tree of life more than I even knew. And I praise God for that. But as we think about this verse and we think about hope in particular today, when we think about hope deferred makes the heart sick, most of the time, if you heard that phrase or heard that verse before, we normally just stop there. And we don't even finish the sentence because it's almost like we can all connect on the front end of that. Because if I asked you, hey, when was the last time a hope was fulfilled? It actually takes effort for us to think about when was the last time. But if you want to say, when, was, when did you experience a deferred hope or a hope that was not fulfilled? I think we would be able to fill out a bullet point list pretty quick. Would you guys agree with me? Because we live in a broken world. We, we're hope-filled creatures. God made us to hope. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says God's made everything beautiful in its time, and he's put eternity into our hearts. Who can know the beginning of the end from it? And so what that means is that with eternity in our hearts as human beings, it distinguishes us from the other creatures that he made, from the other animals. We have hope and eternity put in our hearts. And so we have this vision of looking forward to the future. And when our vision of the future is hope-filled, then it impacts our present in a powerful way. And if our vision of the future is dismal or bleak, then no matter, even in the best of circumstances, our present state is deeply impacted to the point it impacts our well-being, our capacity for joy, and even our health. Viktor Frankl, uh, in his book, um, Man's Search for Meaning, he was a survivor of the Holocaust, and he's also a psychiatrist. And as he was in the concentration camps in World War II, he noticed this distinction of prisoners who had hope and those who didn't. And the way that he phrases hope is faith in the future. And this is what he says. He says, the prisoner who had lost faith in the future, his future was doomed. With his loss of belief in the future, he also lost his spiritual hold. He let himself decline and become subject to mental and physical decay. So what he's meaning there is that if someone lost hope in the future, 
It impacted their ability to actually survive. They became more prone to disease, and they began to literally physically shrivel. And so hope, we need hope not just for our mental health, for our heart, but actually our physical health as well. We are wired for hope. And we really can't do anything absent from hope. It's kind of like the underlying emotion that we don't really know is there. But when you get up in the morning, when you drive, when you start something new, hope. We do everything by hope, as Martin Luther said. Everything is driven by hope. But when we say the word, hey, I hope you have a great day, or I hope it doesn't rain, or I hope you get a good report from the doctor, what we really mean by that is I am wishing you the best outcome, but I am unsure of how it's going to play out, right? I am uncertain of what the future holds for you. And so when we use the word hope, a lot of times it's about uncertainty. But when the Bible talks about hope, it talks about a hope that you can rely on that's actually certain, that's above our circumstances. So where can I find a reliable hope is key to not only your spiritual health, but to your entire being, to your whole life, your whole body, your whole soul. And so where can I find a reliable hope? Our vocabulary means a wishful thinking about an uncertain future. But today we're going to talk about a reliable hope and hope in Christ. So hope in Christ, I'm defining as this, is a confident expectation of good that is reliable and shapes my life now. Hope in Christ. In fact, if we go to the next slide, there you go. Hope in Christ is a confident expectation of good that is reliable and shapes my life now. You know? I mean, you can think about the Holocaust is kind of like a very extreme example, but even in just everyday life. I love this example from from the late Pastor Tim Keller. He said, if you have two people working the exact same mundane job of putting one widget on a WhatsApp and there's fluorescent lights sucking the life out of you and there's nothing to hope for. But if one person is getting paid $100 that day and the other person is getting paid $100 million that day for their job, which one's going to whistle while they work? Same circumstances, same environment, but the hope is much greater with one than in the other. And, and so today, we're going to talk about a hope in Christ that is a glistening hope that we can take hold of in Christ. So you guys with me? And we're going to look at it from the life of Zechariah. Now, I know that was a long scripture we just read. And a lot of times when I think about the Christmas story, the Advent story, I don't think about starting with Zechariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist. But as I was thinking about this, there is a, a lot I can identify, and I think we can identify with their story of a longing for hope. And they are actually in this story heartbroken, and there's hope that God gives them there. So Christ coming gives us hope for the heartbroken. So that's, if you're taking notes, that's my point number one. Christ is giving us hope for the heartbroken. So let's see where we find that in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. These first few verses actually tell us a lot about Zechariah and Elizabeth. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. 
Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. So here we are introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah is a priest. He's a descendant from Aaron. So in the 12 tribes of Israel, the Levi tribe, the Levites were priests. And so if you were born into that tribe, if you were in a descendant of Aaron, you were a priest. Okay, so he was a priest. And also Elizabeth is from the Levite tribe. She's also a descendant of Aaron. So maybe we can tell that they're a very devout family because if you marry within the Levite tribe, you kind of know what you're signing up for. And so you're committed to serving the Lord. And so here we have, they, it says that they were pre, that he was a priest. And then it says that they were, in verse six, both of them were righteous in the sight of God. So they were righteous. But then they have this surprising part where it says they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Now, in first reading this, you can kind of get a picture of, okay, this is an older married couple. They have been faithful in serving the Lord so much that the Lord commends them and says, they are righteous in my sight, but they never had a child. And in those days, children are, as is today, are a gift from the Lord, but also there was a shame that came because, and there was also a loss of security because there was no 401k, there was no retirement plan. Your children taking care of you was even more of an emphasis than it is today. And so just family was everything. And so without an inheritance to pass on, without a legacy to pass on, it was a big hole. And just thinking about how heartbroken they would be, how much time they were spending before the Lord, serving Him and asking for a child. And with each month, with each year, it didn't happen. I think it would be safe to say that they were heartbroken over this. Their childlessness, though, it says, was not a result of their sin or someone else's sin. So why does this matter? I just want to point this out. Sometimes in our lives, we're heartbroken as a result of our own sin. We are reaping what we've sown. We have committed an act that we know, like if we lied and those lies come to light, we expect that trust is going to be broken in our relationships, right? And so we're heartbroken over that. And there's hope for those who are experiencing that kind of consequence. But there's also sometimes when we are heartbroken and it's not because of our sin. It says that they were righteous and they were childless. And how often can we as the people of God fall into a horrible trap of assuming, oh, I wonder what they did to make God mad. Or I wonder what happened. I wonder if there's something there. And, it, and I think it's a good check for us to judge rightly and to have compassion because the Lord is speaking over them blessing. They are righteous in my sight and yet they're childless. And so he has compassion on them. But sometimes we just go through brokenness in life and it's not a result of something that we do. So what, what happens when you encounter this? Well, one, you begin to wonder, okay, is there something that I'm doing that's blocking this? So you start taking inventory of any sin that you need to confess. Am I praying for this? Am I fasting? Is there anything I need to give up? And so you start to say, is the problem on my end? 
And then if you go to, okay, I think I'm doing all I can, but this applies to even more than infertility. What if there's a hope longing that you have that's not yet fulfilled? Maybe it's for your body to be healed. Maybe it's for that estranged relationship to be healed. Maybe it's for the spouse that you long to be married one day. Maybe it is for a child. What is that longing that you're aching for, but you keep coming to the Lord asking, and you might bring your disappointment to Him, but you don't grow bitter? And there's a difference in that. Disappointment before God is called lament. It's actually really precious to us, to Him. He actually catches all of our tears in a bottle, and God invites us to cast our cares on Him, right? And so it's really precious to Him. And so we, we, in our disappointments, by no means do we need to say praise the Lord and keep those over to the side. We actually are authentic in our pain and in our grief. And we need to be we need to be alert to where bitterness can grow in because bitterness is with, with God is when disappointment turns into pain and pride where we go into a self-reliant mode and we walk away from God, right? You can say, oh, you know, I expected this. If this is what following God is going to be like, then I'm out. And I don't want to say that flippantly. Because there are deep wounds and pains that can rock us to our core, and it can happen to any of us and just shake us. So I'm not saying that without compassion, but I am saying it as your pastor and as someone who loves you to be weary of where bitterness is coming in where there's not a hope fulfilled. So what do we do? What do we do? We keep coming. I love how Zechariah is still there serving the Lord even when he did not see that hope fulfilled, and even when it's too late, really. They're, they're old. They're very old, it says. So how does Christ give us hope for the heartbroken? In our weakness and our pain, God draws near to us. He draws near to us, and he gives us good news anyway. And so we're going to see more about that as we keep reading on. So Zechariah and Elizabeth found hope beyond their circumstances in the Lord. It doesn't mean that they weren't disappointed, but he was their ultimate hope. And so as they come towards him, though, the part that I can relate to is that even though their hope was in God, it didn't mean that they, they, were, they were excused from having doubts. They still had doubts. And so here's number two. The point number two is Christ's coming, the advent of Christ, gives hope for our doubts. Okay, so here's where we're going to pick up the rest of the story and kind of go through it bit by bit. It says in verse 8, once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for burning incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So what's happening here? Zechariah is a priest of the Levite tribe. I was reading some commentaries on this. They estimated that there's about 18,000 Levite priests in the tribe, and they're divided into 24 divisions. He's of the division of Abijah. So he's not a full-time priest doing this every day. He has a day job. He doesn't even live in Jerusalem. He has a day job, but for two weeks out of the year, he gets to come and serve the Lord at the temple. It's probably the highlight of his year. 
And then they get to cast lots. Literally, they get to roll dice to see who of their division is going to get to go in to the, mo- to the holy place. Not the most holy of holies, but the holy place. It's the place, the picture here, there's a veil that is covering where God's presence dwells, the holy of holies. Only the high priest goes in once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people then. But here is where they're tending to the incense. And so Zechariah gets chosen. This is a chance of a lifetime. This is not an everyday occurrence. Many priests never get this opportunity. So this is his time. He gets to go in. I imagine just the excitement and the nervousness (laughs) that he has going in. And so he's coming in to burn incense to the Lord. And as he's doing that, here's what happens in verse 11. It says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Wow. Quite the day for Zechariah. Chance at a lifetime. Uh, As he's in there, he's alone. No one else is in there with him, but then a man's there, an angel. And I love how he says, don't be afraid, because remember, Zechariah is an old man, so I'm sure Gabriel was like, don't die, please. Don't have a heart attack right now. There's good news. Just hang with me. It's going to be okay. And wow, what good news. This is amazing news. This, I mean, if you think about it, so the people of, of, the people of Israel are, are under Roman occupation right now. King Herod that I referred to earlier, he did rebuild the temple, but he's also the same King Herod later on in the narrative of of Jesus after Jesus is born that he says all the Hebrew boys under two years old need to die because there is a prophecy of a future king. So there is evil, there is injustice, there is oppression, and there is a 400-year gap between the prophet Malachi, which is the last prophet in the Old Testament, and this moment. 400 years. You think Abe Lincoln and George Washington were old? Our country isn't even 250 years old, and this was a 400-year gap, 400 years of waiting. And he's a priest who's burning incense to the Lord saying, we are waiting for you. We are longing for you. And so here is Gabriel, and he has good news for him. One, personally, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be a son that's going to be a part of the Savior coming. What good news. But what I can so relate to is Zachariah's response. In verse 18, it says, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Which is a little uh, comical to me because essentially he says, I am old, but my wife is very old. (laughs) How can this be? How can this be? So here is Zechariah a faithful man of God, righteous in the sight of God, and he is doubting the good news that he's received from this angel. It's amazing. 
And then the angel replies to him. He said, I am Gabriel, in verse 19. I stand in the presence of God. What a job description. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day that this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will not come true, and, uh, which will come true at their appointed time. Excuse me. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So as I was looking at this passage, some people can look at this as a harsh reply to Zechariah, who, you know, is he, is he wrong? He's very old. His wife is very old. He's been waiting for the Lord, and yet he's like, okay, this amazing event is happening, but it's hard for me to unguard my heart when I've already let this thing go. I'm here worshiping the Lord, but I don't actually believe that he's going to come through. And it might be a harsh statement to say, okay, now you're going to be mute and not speak. But I actually think this is the grace and mercy of God on Zachariah's life. When we send our children to a timeout, it's because we love them and we want them to see that there is a better way to live than the way that they're choosing in that moment and that they're missing out on blessing. And so what he does essentially is he tells Zechariah to shh, just watch, just watch. He doesn't remove the prophecy. He doesn't take it away. It's still good news, but he takes away his ability to even say anything. And he says, just watch. And so imagine as he goes home from this experience, he goes home and he somehow communicates to Elizabeth what happened and she gets pregnant. And it says that she was in seclusion for five months. And so at that first trimester is over, there's this baby bump in his geriatric wife. He's watching this grow. He's watching this happen. And he's seeing that there is a hope being fulfilled, but he's also putting together the pieces of what Gabriel told him John would be for. He would prepare the way of the Lord. There's a hope that's being fulfilled. You know, as I was, as I was just preparing for this, I just felt like this is really for our church. Maybe there's individuals here that have been coming faithfully for a long time, but out of not a, an intentionality, we can, I can do this. We can just drift our hope to settle on a little bit to the side of Christ or a little bit to the side of this. And we begin to maybe put our hopes in the things that we can see that are more horizontal than things that are vertical or yet to come. And so when Christmas comes, I, when we do the decorations, we do the movies, we do those things. But I feel like what, through Zechariah, he just wants us to even take a moment and just say, God, would you, would you check my heart? Do I need to be put in a time of silence just to contemplate where my hope really is? And so I think that is an invitation that God has for all of us, and it was an invitation for me even this week. So my question for you is, what do we do when our hope is so low that we doubt the good news, even if an angel delivered it to us? You know, this week, um, I was feeling low. And so there's a couple of things that you do when you feel low. I was feeling low on hope. 
I was still going about my daily responsibilities. I was still trying to be a faithful husband, all those things, but I just had a low view of hope. And so there's two things that I normally do. One is that you need to stir yourself up in hope. So Lamentations 3, verse 20 says, and yet this I call to mind, and therefore I will hope that the Lord, he is the one that his mercies are new every single morning. His steadfast love never ceases. His mercies are new every single morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion and my cup. Therefore, I will hope in him. You start declaring what is true. So you start stirring up your soul. Micah 7, 7 says, do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. For though I fall, I will rise. And though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light to me. We read Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Come on, soul. Come on, Joe. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who redeems my life from the pit, who forgives all of my sins, who, crown, who crowns me with love and compassion. And so you build up your soul. You say, but as for me, I will follow the Lord. But anything that is apart from Christ, I consider refuse compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and, and not having a righteousness that's from my own, but is found in him. And so there's a stirring up that we need to do. We need to be thankful. We need to be people who bless the Lord, oh, my soul. But there's some times where that doesn't, that doesn't seem to like scratch the itch. And it didn't scratch the itch this day. And so as I was saying, okay, I'm stirring myself up. Those are taking effect, you know, but Ephesians 1.18 says that the Lord wants to enlighten our hearts so that we know the hope that we have. It says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saint, saints. And the other thing, so one is to praise the Lord, but the other one, when declaring truth just isn't working, is to bring your weakness before the Lord. And as I was bringing my weakness before the Lord, I was like, why am I low on hope? And it wasn't because circumstances were bad, necessarily. There were challenges, but that wasn't the source of my low hope. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't circumstances. It was actually my own view of how I was doing as a father, as a husband, as a pastor. I felt like I was falling short. I felt like I wasn't intentional enough with my kids. I wasn't thoughtful enough with my wife. And I didn't think I was wise enough as a pastor or gifted enough as a speaker or whatever. And so I had a low view of the future because I had a low view of myself. Now, this is not where, this is not where the self-esteem, you know, rah, rah, positive thinking is, is coming in. It's just saying, Lord, here I am. And what I felt like the Lord said is, I don't need your strengths, Joe. I need your willingness in the midst of your weakness because whenever you bring your weakness to me, that's when I can be strong. That's when I can show up. And so it wasn't, you know, a, so I was viewing it. I, I needed that reminder. I needed that reminder that when my hope was low, as I brought my weakness to him and I was still willing to come there, that he wanted to actually breathe on that and to lift the burden that I had put on myself of not enough. And, and how many of us have that today? And so I just feel like, what do we do? How do we have hope in the midst of our doubts is to bring our doubts, bring our weaknesses, bring our questions to the Lord. And like the disciples, when they 
were confused on what Jesus was saying, and he gave a hard teaching, and Jesus asked him, where are you going to leave as well, like the crowds? And Peter said, where else can I go? You have the words of eternal life. May we have that posture and yet still bring our questions to the Lord. So just kind of wrapping up, closing, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they have this amazing promise, this amazing prophecy. She is pregnant, but this pregnancy is a greater hope than even their longing for a child to be fulfilled. It actually speaks to Christ's hope, which gives us resurrection life. So even beyond circumstances, death cannot even take this hope away from us. And so just for the sake of time, I'm going to summarize what happens at the end. So uh, Elizabeth is pregnant. She is growing with child with John the Baptist. And eventually it, it takes, the time happens where John is born. So John is born and there is a celebration that happens. And on the eighth day, uh, they bring John to the temple to be circumcised and to be dedicated. They're dedicating John. And as they're there, the people want to name John after Zechariah or after a relative. And Elizabeth speaks up and says, no, his name shall be John. And there's confusion because in that day you named your children after either the father or some other relative. You didn't deviate from that. And so they motioned to Zechariah and saying, what do you say? And so he gestured, give me something to write with. And he wrote down on a tablet, his name is John. And as soon as he did that, his mouth was open. His timeout ended. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was rejoicing and people were in awe. And as his name, John, was declared, which means favor of God, it wasn't just favor over that child. It was favor over the people of Israel, over all the nations, and that through this child, he would prepare the way for Jesus that, that is the hope of all nations. Amen? And so as that, he sings a song, and he sings a long song. I mean, he, maybe he'd been thinking about this for nine months. I don't know. But he sings this song, and this is my favorite line at the end in verse 76. It says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace. Wow. Wow. Makes me think of that O Holy Night lyric. Where long lay the world and sin, and they were pining. But a thrill of hope, a thrill of hope comes to a weary world rejoicing, for yonder breaks a new glorious dawn. I think I butchered that a little bit, but I went for it. But as you sing a holy night, think about this. This isn't just a nice thought. This is, this is the hope that is real, that is present, that is for them for them back then and for us today, and for us today. So just in closing, 1 Peter 1, 3-4 says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So I don't know what the level of your hope is this morning. Mine was low this week. Maybe you're coming in and you need some hope. So we want to create some space for you to actually to ask God to come and renew your hope this morning. Now, he is the one that has hope for the heartbroken. He is the one that has hope for those who are in doubts. And he also has hope for resurrection life. Hope that is beyond these circumstances. So if I can invite the band to come on up. You know, the scripture that I opened with was Proverbs 13, 12, where it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And a lot of times we fixate on that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but that tree of life is actually pointing to Christ. It's actually pointing to him because he was born. God came in the flesh not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that he took our curse of sin on himself for the forgiveness of sins so that the blessing of God could be given to us in exchange. It says, cursed is he who hangs on a tree in Galatians 3. And Jesus bore our sins on a tree, but that wasn't the end of the story. He died and he rose again. And that for us, we're actually given the Holy Spirit. For anyone who would believe, we're given the Holy Spirit as a down payment, a taste of the full hope that's to come. And so this morning, we're going to respond with singing our own song of, of praise to the Lord. But my question is, where do you need hope today? And to bring those before the Lord and to be honest before Him, because I believe the Lord wants to answer that. So I'm just going to give us just some time to answer that question. Lord, where, where do I need hope today? And maybe today you have zero hope. You say, I have no hope. And I just see, you know, just some, a mental picture of just Christ's hand coming and reaching down, down, down into the pit and saying, here's your hope. Take my hand. I've not given up on you. I've been pursuing you. Would you take my invitation? And so if that's the case, we're going to have our prayer team and our prophetic team up here while we sing. So if there's anything, if there's, I, I just need to come forward and just give my doubts, give my heart, give these longings to the Lord or have someone pray with me. So I invite you to respond and do as the Lord leads, but let us all look to him who is our everlasting hope. So Father, thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. That is a living hope that when all other lights go out, this one will remain. This one will see us through. And even there's a, there's a lasting future hope of all the suffering that we've encountered and longings will actually become untrue. They will be fulfilled in the renew of all things, that you are making all things new and you will make all things new. So we thank you. We invite you to come and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen.